You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we have got your complete cards coverage, talking some NFL draft. It's the end of day two. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at Blake Murphy Seven. Joined with my co-host, the Venerable John Venerable. John, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing very well. We are several hours away from day two, uh, culminating here on Friday, and, and boy, oh boy, did we have ourselves a uh, very stressful, very rewarding evening uh, as an Arizona Cardinal fan, Blake. And I think majority of you know what we're getting at. Yeah, absolutely. Like the way I'd say if you're a Cardinals fan, right, this is probably how you feel. You feel like you were walking around on the beach and you're just kind of just minding your own business and you look down and suddenly there's a Rolex wristwatch that's right there. So you're like, oh, this is great. You have a Rolex wristwatch you just get to pick up right out of the blue. Like someone just left it behind here. And then you're like, you know what? This this probably isn't really the right this isn't really the right time. I probably should go ahead and like turn this in and get this back to its rightful owner. So then you're gonna go back and turn it into its rightful owner for all that stuff like that one. And then as you walk into the police station, there turns out the guy who's the owner is there and he's a millionaire. He's like, oh my gosh, this is like my dad's watch. This is a priceless thing to me. Here, here's how how much money do you want? And he pays you essentially for the wristwatch. That's how I think a lot of Cardinals fans are feeling, John. It almost feels like it's a redemption, that this is something that fans have deserved. And what we're talking about especially is after taking and seeing the draft pick of Isaiah Simmons fall to the Arizona Cardinals at eighth overall, you now see at uh, some 64 picks later, a guy we had talked about, John, potentially being someone the Cardinals could look at if they traded back to 16 or later. And Houston tackle Josh Jones is on the board there for the Arizona Cardinals, falls all the way to the third round, and the Cardinals go and take him. This is a shocking development for the Arizona Cardinals. What are some of your thoughts on this, John? What do you think of the prospect? Is this something that got a lot of hype on social media when it happened? A lot of Twitter scouts loved this pick for the Cardinals. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I don't remember a pick like it for for the Cardinals. Um, historically, they have usually missed out on this caliber of player at this point, or for whatever reason, they've opted not to, to roll the dice. Uh, we were discussing it pre-draft. Orlando Brown comes to mind, offensive tackle from Oklahoma a few years back. Had a really rough combine and lead up to the draft, but had first-round tape. And for whatever reason, fell in the draft uh, all the way to Baltimore in the third round. And he's become, I believe, a Pro Bowl player in his second or third season. And I think that's exactly what we have here with Josh Jones from Houston. Listen, this is a senior. This is not a baby. This is a big man at 6'5", 320. I mean, you look at him on film. He is as well as put together, I think, as anybody in this class, and that includes Makai Becton. I mean, he is not a sloppy-looking prospect. He comes from a program in which he's got familiarity with Cliff Kingsbury, who was recruited by Kingsbury coming out of high school. And had some ups and downs and toward the latter half of his career, was injured this past season, but still looked very productive in pass protection. And we're at the point now where coming into this this draft process, I think most people viewed him as a top 50 pick. Um, and then, you know, he had a solid combine, even after a senior bowl in which he probably had some ups and downs, wasn't the best tackle there, but by no means embarrassed himself. Um, and there were some some good defensive linemen he was going toe-to-toe with, uh, Kinlaw, for instance. And so we look at it now, and I think majority of people were to estimate um, that he could go as early as mid to high teens in the first round, or if he fell Maybe he falls to the back end of the first round. Maybe he's a top 40 pick. We did our mock draft. I had Seattle taking him with pick 27 in our mock. Uh, I posted this on Twitter. I mean, how many times did I do the, the mock draft trade machine on Draft Network or wherever that you can do that? And every time I, I traded back, it you usually always ended up with me taking Josh Jones and then recouping that second round pick. For the Cardinals to get him at pick 72, a first-round caliber tape on a player, 
again, that, there's there's not disputing that he's got top forty tape. You you can you can nitpick his senior bowl and his combine was fine. He didn't embarrass himself at the combine. He ran a five two seven, had twenty four reps on the bench press. All that I mean, he looked good in the drills. You pulled up now. He's got a huge frame. He he is elite climbing to the second level when hitting linebackers. He projects as a better version of Bobby Massey. When Bobby Massey came out of Old Miss, he was a solid day two pick. He fell to round four for I think some off the field stuff and. You, you can't argue this. He had been Arizona's most consistent tackle that they had drafted and developed in probably a decade and a half. If he even turns into Bobby Massey, it's a good pick. I think he's got way higher upside. I think he's a much better pass protector than Massey is. And listen, he enters a, a, a developmental process now where he's not going to be forced into anything. Bobby Massey and Mason Cole were forced to play right away because the Cardinals didn't have a pipeline in place. They do now. They can start Justin Justin Murray or Marcus Gilbert. He can be the swing tackle. He's played left tackle majority of his time. He's going to have to learn right tackle, but he can back up DJ Humphreys in the short term. He's going to work with Sean Krugler, Kugler uh, and be developed and not have expectations to even play this first year. That's what good teams do. You look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They didn't want to play Andre Dillard last year. They took him in the first round. This is what good teams do when they're protecting young franchise quarterbacks. You insert blue chip prospects like this into the pipeline, sit them for a year, let them get up to speed with strength and conditioning at the at the NFL level technique. It's so hard to refine that your first year in the NFL and come in and play and play good, consistent football. This is probably the, the Cardinals' best chance to come in and be a Pro Bowl caliber player up front. There is nobody right now, I think, on their offensive line with this kind of upside, even Humphreys. I think Josh Jones, Blake, is a better prospect coming out this year at pick 72 than Humphreys was when the Cardinals took him in the latter half of the first round of 2015. I'll end this, this little opening rant with this. The Cardinals had not taken an offensive tackle in the first three rounds, four rounds if you consider Dorian Johnson a guard. They had not taken an offensive tackle since Humphreys in the first four rounds of the draft. That's 2015. That's a long time. So this was overdue, and maybe it was a gift from the football gods. They have somebody now. They can sit. They can develop. Maybe he's Humphrey's insurance. Maybe he's no more than a swing tackle this year. But I think long term, you've got a building block. And if he turns into anything remotely looking like a good player, a solid player on the offensive line, it's a home run for Steve Keim. Blake, I'm sure you'll get into you know the logistics of not trading up, why other teams passed on him. You know, let's let's all that to be said. At the end of the day, the Cardinals are walking out with two first round caliber players without the benefit of a second round pick, which is it's just remarkable. Yeah, John, the thing that feels remarkable, like you said, is that it's just for it feels very fortuitous because in this sense, the Cardinals essentially didn't necessarily pass on a top prospect. This guy across a lot of boards for that one was ranked, like they said, a lot of people, it was their fifth offensive tackle that was there. And with the top four all going in the top 11 picks, you're talking about a guy who was essentially considered to be, hey, this is the next guy off the board. He's right up there. Maybe he's a step behind them. The reasons as far as for maybe some of the fall, there were some questions about, they said, flag test. Now, what I believe that means, though, is at the Combine, there was no shuttle that was run, and there was no three-cone that was run. And it was repeated at the Pro Day, so he chose not to run those drills. Essentially, that may be, for some teams, a red flag, since they may have some thresholds. Um, again, it's also a spot of, and this is one of the areas where the Cardinals may benefit by being kind of part of what he's one of new experimental and advanced teams. But uh, at Houston, he's playing in essentially in an air raid type of scheme, where you're talking about quick pass sets, um, playing a lot of guys, the fact that he was able to, whenever they played a lot of heavy competition, um, was able to excel is something that a lot of people raved about him, and that was part of the reason why he got a Senior Bowl invite. Um, you want to talk about some interesting stuff, like this is a review that they said was, hey, like this is a guy who, like when you watch some of the games, he's flawless. Like 
He's light on his feet, powerful as hell. He's tall, but he gets a low pad level. He's disciplined, but he's very savvy. And that's one of the things that you watch on tape is his hands seem to always go into the right place. When there's a guy who's running into a bull rush, it's like he just suddenly hits and stops. Um, they talked about, and this is one of the things that was interesting, Kent Summers from the uh, Arizona Republic, he said that when he asked the person what was the reason why he fell, he said the main reason probably was just, hey, he's a good athlete for that one, but he got bullied at the Senior Bowl. What's really interesting about this is he was a practice player of the week at the Senior Bowl. All week long, he ba- the only player they said that he really truly struggled with was when he had to move, when he never played any spot outside of left tackle, had to move to right tackle and held up, played it just fine overall throughout the week, played in at right guard. He struggled a bit against Javon Kinlaw. And Kinlaw bullied a lot of guards and all the players through the week. It's part of why Kinlaw ended up rising back up into being kind of, for a lot of people, a top 10 potential pick for some people. But when it came to the game itself, a lot of the edge rushers went off. And so it's like, all right, so the game itself for that one, and a lot of teams, a lot of people, they probably considered it important. So it's like, hey, if it's a warning bow across the ships or something like that, it's a very, very small one. Uh, the fact is, I think, John, that this is one of those things, and I believe the guys at Pro Football Focus, they even, I think, summed it up best. It feels very much like this is, for a lot of ways, Steve Kime, this could be a franchise-changing draft, not just because of when you're talking about last draft, you had Kyler Murray, but because you're taking each of the biggest issues that you had with the Cardinals. You're talking about, hey, you need a number one wide receiver. You don't know if you've got a solution at the right tackle spot or even at the left tackle spot if DJ Humphreys gets hurt. You're also talking about the need for a guy who can cover tight ends. And through two days of the draft, John, it seems like the Cardinals have not only checked all those boxes, but they've almost overachieved in that sense. Like, hey, they need a one number one wide receiver like DeAndre Hopkins. Cool, you get a DJ, you get DeAndre Hopkins. Hey, you need a guy who's a linebacker who can cover tight ends. You get an Isaiah Simmons, who even if he ends up kind of slowly working into the defense, is still going to be a guy you can stick onto a tight end and will be better than most other guys in the league. Hey, we need to get a guy who's a future at the tackle position who can play right away. Hey, you've got a guy who not only fell all the way to round three, you didn't have to give up draft capital for him. Uh, and I think the Cardinals would have been content to maybe take a guy like a Matt Pert or someone if he had gone before. The fact that they did jump right to the podium, uh, the pick was one of the fast, it was almost as fast as Isaiah Simmons, uh, tells you what they thought about him. And uh, one of the things I did want to touch on, we can go a little bit on, John, is what's the difference now with Steve Kime? Because we've seen in the past two drafts now, it seems like there's still that revolving trend of whoever the pro football focus best player was on the board. For some reason, it seems like in these later rounds, that seems to be the guy that Arizona goes and takes. Do you think that the scouting that Arizona's done, maybe using more analytics, has changed and kind of brought a bit of redemption for Steve Kime? Yeah, I don't recognize this general manager at all. I um, It's refreshing, but it's I think the biggest reason why we had continued skepticism going into this draft this year um, forcing picks, going small school, taking unnecessary risks, hoarding picks. Um, and we saw a little bit of that today. I, I, in my opinion, I would have been more aggressive to secure Josh Jones, but, but kudos to Kime. He didn't feel that was necessary. And at the end of the day, he's still keeping his two fourth rounders tomorrow. So that, that's a, that's a nice coup for him. But I, I, goodness, if, if you were to tell me that the Cardinals were to leave this draft with a player of the caliber of Simmons and, and a, a tackle like Josh Jones, I would have thought they would have given up picks next year, and I probably wouldn't ha- have had a problem with it. Because you think about, what is this draft known for? Receivers, and the Cardinals went out and got the best receiver, potentially in the NFL, or a top three receiver. So you can kind of combat that there. But then offensive tackle. We needed to get in on this offensive tackle craze, and you got perhaps the biggest bargain, um, no pun intended, at pick 72. I think it's an increase of self-awareness, an increase of humility, analytics. I think Steve Kime took a look in the mirror and said, what I was doing just wasn't working. And again, I didn't dislike a lot of his picks in the past that didn't work. I, on the surface, I thought Kim Dietschy, where he was picking, was good value. And we have to also remember, too, that you know, at the end of the day, when the Cardinals were winning, they were picking at the latter half of the first round. That's difficult to do. Um, he shipped out a second-round pick for Chandler Jones in 2016, and that Kim Dietschy pick, that was late in, in the first round. That was, I think, 29, 28-29. Um, the 2017 draft, we've gone over it in depth. Um, I think it's probably Kimes 
most egregious mistake, but I love the 2018 draft on the surface with, with Rosen. I don't think I've ever been more excited than when they traded up for Rosen and then got Kirk on day two. And then he remedied that. That was just an error. I mean, most people thought that was a good decision. So I think at the end of the day, he, he's compounded by a series of bad breaks, no pun intended, with, with Jonathan Cooper. Um, and then maybe, potentially, and I don't know this for a fact, um, an increased of, um, what's the word I want to say? I think I think Bruce Arians tried to instill a sense of urgency with Steve that they had to try to win now with Carson Palmer. And I think that may have compromised Kime's ability to look at the big picture. Um, a pick like Hassan Reddick reflects that. Um, and so I don't know that for a fact, but I just get the sense that when you're under a microcosm or a microscope of Palmer and Fitz and Arians seemingly tied together, or so we thought. Veteran team, you're signing all these veteran free agents to try to go for it for a franchise that has never won. I think it might have screwed with Kime's psyche, and I think that he was given a chance by ownership, give Michael Bidroll credit for giving him a very long leash, even after the extreme DUI two summers ago, and look what he's done. He's drafted the Offensive Rookie of the Year. I haven't checked um, the the odds this morning, I would imagine that Isaiah Simmons is top three to be defensive rookie of the year this year. And he's drafted, we think, a franchise right tackle, developmental right tackle for Kyler Murray. And oh, by the way, he shipped out a bad running back contract and DeAndre, or excuse me, in a second round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. So um, it is by far on the surface his best offseason. Um, and we, we thought he would have a good offseason, Blake. We thought, you know, with the amount of increased cap, he was going to make some moves. He was going to get aggressive. What that looked like, we didn't know. Um, I think this has surpassed anybody's realistic expectations. And I, I'm just praying to hell that we have football this year, Blake, because, man, th- this team at full strength, full capacity with everybody clicking, uh, they're going to be really fun to watch. And kudos to Steve Kime because I was calling for, for him to be released as general manager r- roughly right around this time last year, if not before. And uh, look what he's done now. He's doing a heck of a job, and I want him to succeed. I think that's the confusion with a lot of the fans is that we want him to fail. You know, I I wanted to like a lot of the picks and was a Kime apologist for some time. I had a lot of um, – I had a big leash like Michael Bidwell did early on, but then you see the Chad Williams of the world um, not pan out, and you're reaching on mid-rounders, and your first-rounders offer no impact. I mean, you could make an argument he's gotten the less out of his first-round picks than any GM since the beginning of 2013. Now, the difference is he's made up for it in other ways. So we always thought to ourselves, man, if he could just bat, you know, three, 300 in the first round, one, you know, 350, one out of every, every three picks, be a good player, you know, that's better than going one for, what, one for seven? None of them did anything until Kyler last year. So I'm hoping this is a trend in the right direction. I think Adrian Wilson has a presence now. I think there's just a, a more sense of self-awareness, strengths, and, and, and hurdles within his drafting and scouting prowess. And I also think that, listen, when you have a guy like Kingsbury, very calm demeanor, He's on a long contract. I think his contract's like five to seven years. And you're not year to year with Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer depicting retirement or or teasing retirement. You can take a long-term approach. Isaiah Simmons reflects that. I, I mean, forcing a tackle that you didn't have above Simmons, even though I like the tackles available, as did you, Blake, that's that's pressing the issue and not taking the best player that you think can help this team over the course of the next 10 to 12 years. And that is the way to win. And I I commend him for that. I didn't see that as much as I wanted to in previous years. And I think the biggest difference is he was given a second chance by ownership and he wanted to build a sustained winner. And it's hard to argue anything that he's doing that right now, Blake. Yeah, you especially look at that 2018 season where it felt like the Cardinals wanted to have their cake and eat it too. Hey, we want to rebuild with a young quarterback. We also paid Sam Bradford $20 million to have a second-year option. Hey, maybe he can be our Kurt. Hey, we want to, you know, try to be able to build a whole lot around this um, this idea of, you know, this running game for all of these. And then you hire Mike McCoy to be your coordinator who has never had a successful running game that he's coordinated. Hey, you want to 
to basically find a guy who could bring in a defensive identity with discipline. Instead, you shift to a 4-3 defense, your man corners are playing zone, and you end up talking about gap integrity every single week. It's just a case where the identity that Steve Keim, I think, has been able to adapt to, where now he and Cliff Kingsbury are on the same page, and, and I, I think it took a whole season to do it, John. I, I think it took everything that the Cardinals had from building up to the controversial pick of Kyler Murray. Uh, that's, you know, it's a case where you don't know if you take that pick and it's a complete bust your first year. Suddenly you're out as a GM after, you know, getting kind of your third strike almost, you could say. Um, for Cliff having to adjust to an NFL offense, um, and then the Cardinals and Michael Bidwell having to take the chance on all of this. And you're starting to see, I think, a lot of these moves and a lot of these decisions that some people may say these are wild when you realize that no, these are smart decisions. You just have to be able to see if the decision that you're going to have and all the work and the data is it's going to pay off in the long run. The Cardinals, if things work out, your hope is that this can pay off in a playoff spot and reward the team, the players, um, all of them. That's what they've been working for. Uh, especially Kyler Murray, who at this point is essentially taking on the mantle and the leadership of the team. He had a, a fantastic uh, article, if you haven't read it yet, from the Players' Tribune. You can tell that the dude really gets it. We didn't get a, a chance to even talk about that with the Simmons pick. But by having an identity and also having a strength, John, of having a college coach, like this isn't a spot where you know you're having to scout these players from afar or Bruce Arians bringing in a veteran that he knew from you know played with him in Pittsburgh, Indianapolis. You're talking about a young player who Cliff Kingsbury actively recruited to play for him at Texas Tech, who Sean Kugler at UTEP recruited to play for him when he was a coach there, uh, who he knew through Dana Holgerson. It's almost like the Cliff Kingsbury revenge tour. Where it's like, hey, like I am recruiting these guys. They won't willingly join me. Fine, I'll draft you and make you come play for me now because you're too good. That is, I think, is a strength of the Cardinals that we're seeing through the first couple of years that we have with Kingsbury having a lot of these connections. And it's a new identity, and as we're seeing, John, it's a step or two ahead of some of the other teams in the division. The Rams didn't take any offensive linemen today. The Seahawks have made a couple of baffling picks, strengthening the interior of their line. Uh, the Niners, at least, seem to be the one team that you're going to be competing with next year, and uh, they're the one team that, you know, the Cardinals are the one team that do have a young franchise quarterback on a rookie deal, so it'll be very interesting to see. But getting back to Jones, do you think that this is a spot where – and this will be just kind of maybe a little over-projecting, but do you think that this is more of a able-to-play-right-away type player, or is this kind of a you've got your kind of backup plan, your starting plan set, and this is a guy you can work in slowly? Like, What are some of your expectations of what should Cardinals fans expect from this pick? I think previous regimes would have tried to rush him out there. Listen, I think Lance Zerline of NFL.com, um, you know, I, I like to think that he knows – a little bit about scouting and, and has a prospect grade of um, Josh Jones at 6.35, which is he's going to be a starter within his first two seasons. And I think that's about right. Um, and not every prospect is graded, I think, to a T, but that is how I view it. I think that if this was a team that was going to try to take their lumps next year, I think you just kind of let him go out there and work through it. Like, the Cardinals did with Massey once upon a time. Then they sat him and brought him back and ended up being a really nice player. And they're hoping to do the same with Mason Cole in 2020. Um, I think they have the benefit of having two uh, capable players on the right side, being Marcus Gilbert and Justin Murray. I was reading something on Twitter from, I think it was a, a fan or somebody else that was tweeting at Ken Summers, basically saying of the Arizona Republic, like, well, we gotta we gotta get rid of one of these guys now. I, the Cardinals have never had tackle depth, and now you have it for the first time in decades. And you want to ship these guys off? I mean, if Justin Murray got cut tomorrow, he would be picked up by a team. Marcus Gilbert, you brought back. He's not leaving, assuming he can he can pass a physical, which he did to sign his contract if he looks good in camp. Um, and then DJ Humphreys just signed his extension. Like you, ju you need to keep all four of these guys. Listen, I, Jones is going to work out at right tackle, so maybe that's the concern is you don't have a true left tackle. Um, but I, I still think he could play there in a pinch. Maybe Justin or Justin Pugh could play there in a pinch. So you've got options. And we talked about it last year. Sean Coogler said that Mason Cole was the most uh, valuable offensive lineman on the roster because he was the sixth man who could really play any position. He didn't want to play tackle, but he could. 
I'm not saying Josh Jones can do that, but there's something to be said about a tackle that can play either left or the right side entering their first year in a pinch. And we could see him take on a, a little bit of a hybrid role of being the sixth lineman off the bench. Um, could come in in goal line scenarios, probably is going to play special teams. But getting him with Sean Kugler, I think, is going to be invaluable. He's the best offensive line coach they've had since they've moved to Arizona. Uh, I think he's going to do good things with Mason Cole. I think he did good things with Humphreys last year. And I think that, unfortunately, if this was a regular offseason where I, I don't put too much stock with Lyman and OTAs, they're going to get him his his playbook and information ahead of time. But if we have any kind of shortened God forbid, training camp with the current climate of of society right now. I think that there's a potential for Jones to be brought along exceptionally slowly. But again, you're not taking this guy 72 to be a plug-and-play starter. I mean, Isaiah Simmons is likely the only one that's going to come out of this draft class, and I don't count DeAndre Hopkins in that regard, as somebody who's going to play significant snaps for the Cardinals next year. But again, this is not a quick fix. The Cardinals want to continue their their ascend to uh, relevance. They want to con- try to develop a winning culture, and I think Jones can play a big part in that as somebody that the Cardinals are going to control his rights for four years, and then you have an opportunity, if he pans out, to talk about extensions and whatnot. But we saw it with DJ Humphreys, who, again, I don't think it was the same caliber of, of pro-ready prospect that Jones is that it took Humphreys a while and it took him into his fifth year option to really kind of put it together and we're hoping he continues that ascend but Jones to me let him come in of course let him compete and if he at the end of the day if he looks the best out of all the tackles you have on the roster and he has more ability right now than Justin Murray don't make make no mistake about it and if he looks much more spry and athletic and ready to take you know the pounding of a 16 game schedule as compared to somebody like Marcus Gilbert coming off injury then yeah, put him out there. Let's see what he can do. But I, Cardinals just now have an ace up their sleeve that if the, the right tackle position is disappointing them um, come October, November, that they could potentially make a switch. But I mean, this kid's been brought in eventually to be the heir apparent at, at that position. And I mean, you're talking about Josh Jones, who I believe does not turn 22 until before next season. DJ Humphreys, who's in his mid-20s right now. Mason Cole, who's in his who's in his mid-20s. You're in a position now where you potentially have three young building blocks on the offensive line. When when was the last time we've been able to say that? And now they they can address potentially they can go year to year with Pew and his cap number on the left hand side. I know his he signed for the next three seasons and his cap jumps up seven point. I can't remember. I think it gets to um, a, a potentially a cap casualty next year based on his production. I mean, he'd have to play really well. And then J.R. Sweezy's year to year. So wouldn't be surprised for them to maybe take a guard tomorrow or if they sign one next offseason. But, you know, if you're talking about bookend tackles for Kyler Murray long term, as, as much as I was disappointed with the lack of sense of urgency last year to get a Cody Ford and to a lesser extent this year to make it a priority with all of those great prospects in the first round, getting Jones into your program with Kugler taking your time is how you build stability. It's what New Orleans does. It's what Philadelphia does. This it's what Baltimore does. The Cardinals. I I, I pray that they're they're going to take that same mindset because how many times have we seen this franchise fumble their way through preseason and training camp with practice level players having to take on you know huge roles because the Cardinals are too reliant on veterans, injury prone guys. Have a plan in place. Have prospects ready to go and plug in. Get people that can come in and elevate that unit instead of just trying to hold it down for, for you know, average play. I Make it a strength for once. It's never been a strength since you've been here outside of maybe, you know, the early 90s with Lomas Brown. And I think that we're a long way from that happening, but I also think that, you know, maybe we're not as far away as we think with some of these additions. And Goodness, you know, I'm a greedy guy when it comes to the offensive line. It's something that I've been banging the table for. There are some guards that I think would would fit this team well come pick uh, 111, but uh, if you exit Josh Jones as your only offensive lineman, I can't be disappointed in the slightest, Blake. No, it's a case where you're in a spot, like you said, John, where you finally have depth at the tackle position. Uh, you'll be able to work him in. It wouldn't shock me, you know, if they bring him in as a sixth offensive lineman. He, you know, catches a touchdown. There's great athleticism. It also hedges your bet as far as with DJ Humphreys and his health as far as left tackle. Maybe it turns into a spot where if DJ ends up missing a couple of games or if there's, you know, God forbid something more serious that you've got a guy who you can now plug in on that side or give him a chance to beat out um, 
Justin Marie or Marcus Gilbert are outright if you believe that he's going to be your long-term right tackle. Uh, the way I think you can take away is through first the first two days of the draft, John, the Cardinals entered with a few needs. I think you can kind of say at least at this point, outside of the people who are really, really hoping for C.D. Lamb and that connection with Kyler Murray, I think everyone can probably walk away pretty content with what the Cardinals are doing. And that's not something that you can say every single draft. That just shows you, I think it's a testament to the kind of prospect that Jones is, where a lot of Cardinals fans were united in the aspect of sitting around their TV sets, refreshing their Twitter, looking just for kind of a sign of, hey, let's, I hope this team didn't take them. Could this team take, could the Seahawks, oh my gosh, could the Seahawks take a lineman here? Are, are the Ravens going to take another strength? It's like it got John to pick to pick until it hit 72. And I sent out a, earlier, I think it was a meme or something about how I thought the Cardinals were going to essentially have an lineman on the board they're going to take running back Zach Moss as a pick instead turns out that he ends up going after the Cardinals draft they take the guy who uh, clearly was the better player on the board and now you're starting to talk about some optimism and a lot of the people who are essentially saying O-line is a definite huge need uh, the fact that it fell this way I think uh, Cliff Kingsbury probably at least said it the best he almost talked about like um, speaking it into existence almost in a sense I think um, just with Steve Kime, where the whole thing that they took away was, hey, like, maybe it's our year. That was something Steve Kime, Cliff Kingsbury said. And at least when it comes to the NFL draft, and at least when it comes to the trades that the Cardinals have made in the offseason, it just feels charmed in a sense. Like, <laughs> it does very much feel like, John, that everything kind of is going their way. And on paper, so far, there's a lot of room to be content. All right, well, hopefully the Cardinals can back that up at least. We got the tomorrow's draft, and uh, let's go and end this with any other prospects you're looking forward to. John, with all of these needs that have been addressed, it feels like you can almost go for, like, straight best player available. Like, you could say if you take a defensive lineman, offensive lineman, the, the biggest needs for the Cardinals, I think, have been addressed. But who are either some players or positions that you would look for tomorrow? Yeah, I, I think that Kime, listen, the, the secondary, the depth at corner is not ideal, but I think Kime is more comfortable dealing with veterans on short-term deals toward the end of, you know, the summer, beginning of the preseason, final cut day, where he's usually able to pick up a, a fourth or fifth corner. Um, that's not to say they wouldn't target one. Um, and there's a guy like Bryce Hall available from Virginia that I think could be of benefit. You're just talking about best pure value pick. I know Blake and I, you, were, you and I are kind of high on him in terms of pick 111. Um, but at the same time, um, I don't think they're going to force it. I, right now, the two two weakest team spots on the team, after you filled that void at, at right tackle, I think are um, still disruptor on the defensive line. And you can make an argument that right now there's not a ton of, of capable defensive linemen left that are worthy of that pick. And then also secondary, I think that – you know, I would be tempted to double up on the offensive line. The, the center out of Wisconsin, Tyler Biedis. I, I can never pronounce his last name. I apologize for butchering that. And then you and I are fans of Amik Robertson, the honey badger light from Louisiana Tech, all over the field. Um, I think he had double-digit interceptions for his career at Louisiana Tech. He's somebody I think that would I think would be their pick if he made it to 111, but I, I think he's going to get snatched up in the first couple picks. Um, I do know that they liked Curtis Weaver in the in the pre-draft process. He's an edge rusher from Boise that had I think 13 and a half sacks last year for the Broncos. And listen, could come in be a rotational player, could be a real shot in the arm, um, sp sparing Devin Kennard off the edge on on third downs. You could use him kind of like you did Marcus Golden his rookie year. Just, you're just looking for value at this point. The Cardinals, again, uh, have two fourth-round picks for a reason. They want to use them, on, I think, on BPA. I think that you've, you came into this draft, I think, knowing at the end of the day that you had to address offensive line, and you did that, and you've got potentially the best value of any team. You added an impact defensive player that's going to erase a lot of mistakes and can rush the passer, can play in the back seven, um, can stop the run adequately, can, you know, snag interceptions whatever you want to call it tremendous sideline to sideline player that being Simmons so now it's like okay well we we feel pretty good about going to war right now with our starting 11 on both sides of the ball who can we take that could surprise us year one that we could develop into a start and we always talk about Blake the meat of the Cardinal roster being lacking depth sub-starters, developmental guys. The next, I always use Rashad Johnson as an example because I believe he was a f 
third or fourth round pick from Alabama, and it took him time to come on. The aforementioned Bobby Massey, Rodney Gunter, who developed into a nice rotational defensive lineman, a starter the last couple years. Who can we find that fits that build? Kime, to me, has had trouble in the fourth round. I think his most competent, maybe you could argue, would be Gunter or an Alex Okafor, but he's missed on a lot of guys, too, and I think that you know, he's not going to have to reach on one of these remaining tackles if he doesn't feel like they're capable. He doesn't need a quarterback, and I think some of the quarterbacks are going to go early. So uh, Bradley Anaye from Utah is another name to watch. Akeem Davis Gathers from Appalachian State is another inside backer. So there's a couple different inside backers that at, at worst could be special teamers. But again, I, I like John Simpson from Clemson. He had drawn... Gabe Jackson comparisons before this draft. He is a guard from, um, again, Clemson down south and, and was a starter on their national championship team. Nothing flashy about his game, but he's a road grader. I, I just think that that program right now at the top of their game for the last three or four years, you're going to find capable players from that program on day three of the draft. Um, could they be interested in a tight end? I don't know. We, we thought that maybe they'd have interest in Troutman before New England snagged him at the tail end of round three. Um, could Ben Barch, somebody that I think they've been linked to uh, from St. John's, kind of intrigue them as another tackle, developmental tackle? Uh, the, I think the position I think most people are disappointed that they can't address at this point just because of the lack of picks as a receiver. There aren't a lot of quality receivers at pick 111. Now, if you want to do it, you know, whatever that pick 134 is that they have, you could take a developmental guy. But I think right now, Blake, the highest receiver that you and I have ranked is maybe Tyler Johnson from Minnesota or Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan. Um, majority of the receivers like Devin uh, Duvernay, Kyler Murray's cousin, of course, from Texas was taken off the board by Baltimore pick 92. So I don't, you know, I think that they're going to give the guys they took at receiver last year in the draft, Keyshawn, Andy, and, and Hakeem. Uh, a, a real shot this year. This has been a good weekend for Hakeem Butler that they have not added a receiver of note of impact um, because I think his roster spot would be in jeopardy. Another thing that I do want to tease, Blake, before I throw it back to you, talk about some of the players you like is I think tomorrow is the day that we see a potential Hassan Reddick deal. I think a lot of veterans are going to get dealt tomorrow for picks. Um, don't be surprised if it's for pennies on the dollar, potentially a fifth round pick, or if it's used with in conjunction with another pick to move up in a given round. But I think they've been shopping him. Teams are going to be on the lookout for that tomorrow. You're going to see not big names, but you could see Fournette traded. You could still see Trent Williams traded. I think Hassan Reddick gets dealt tomorrow. And if not, I mean... What do, you, what do you really even do with him at this point? I think he just becomes a backup inside, outside linebacker. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him because, uh, like you said, one of the names that I like a lot is Akeem Davis-Gaither. My guess is that he's one of those guys who probably goes in the top three picks tomorrow. But, hey, charmed life that you have for the most part, very, very possible that could be the case. Um, I will be very curious to watch because a lot of the – before I figured that, hey, you could potentially pass on – uh, a guy like Isaiah Simmons, if you had a better player there on the board, because you could get a guy like Davis Gaither later, you would be looking at a essentially turning the linebacker core from your biggest weakness into one of your biggest strengths. A smaller school guy, but he's very natural at the position. Like you said, John Simpson out of Clemson. What is very fascinating to me is how, uh, like for one thing, the Cardinals, they don't, you love Clemson players, but the comp that he ends up getting from a lot of players, at least for that one, is... Um, at least for me, is like the Cardinals' current starter, J.R. Sweezy. I think that he's very similar in that regard, that he's a guy who you can plug in. You're just like, hey, it's not super athletic. He's not like he's super weak. I think that maybe he's going to be one of those guys that you end up talking about as being a longtime player. The comp that he got from Lance Zerline is a player, John, that we talked about for a long time of them trading for, which is in Kalichi Osamele. Like, if that's your comp for a guy like John Simpson and he's available going into round four, yeah, yeah. you're talking about essentially establishing depth, being able to build for the future. Yeah, and I think um, I said Gabe Jackson, and I meant KO, so thank you for that correction. I was going to say, either way, a lot of those ones for the guards, and, and we never know how it goes in day four. I remember last year a lot of teams were saying, hey, could Akeem Butler fall to us here? Like, you know, at, you know round four pick 10 and he went boom with the very first pick you're not quite sure of how that goes I do like a Meek Robertson it's hard to see him with having a spot on the team in terms of you'd have to be looking at him as uh, you know essentially a slot corner who can play maybe more positions he's the 
5'8", tiny guy. He would essentially play way bigger than his size. And like you said, John, he's also a ball hawk. And the Cardinals right now don't necessarily have a lot of ball hawks, at least, outside of Patrick Peterson. Uh, Robert Alford had the pick six, but it's hard to know how to count on him. As we said, with Buda Baker, at least, it seems like you're in a spot now where you're guessing that Isaiah Simmons could potentially have more interceptions than him. My hope is that it flips the other corner and Baker, instead of having to, you know, try to guard, uh, was it? Instead of having to guard George Kittle down the field one-on-one, now you're talking about Buddha being able to look back for it. But like, like you're talking, John, being able to build the offense around Kyler, being able to prep for the future where you've got two or three guys, you're not having to go out and pay another guard. You're just able to find and plug in these guys. I think that would be fantastic for the Cardinals. So those would be some of my top options. Um, I think the mo- most interesting thing for me is I know the Cardinals liked – Two running backs today. They liked um, the one that we've talked about for a while, Zach Moss. He goes to the Buffalo Bills. We'll probably take on that Frank Gore type of role. And then Darrington Evans goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't know if he's going to be their starting running back, but it seems like he's going to get a lot of carries in that offense. I mean, you've got Tom Brady who's able to throw you the ball. That's going to be uh, something exciting. Uh, the top two running backs that are available, the Cardinals do want to get another running back. And uh, you, John, you and I agree on this. The Cardinals are fine with with Chase. They don't necessarily need to go out and get a backup running back. It would be more of a pick for, hey, is this a guy who could be a future starter next year? Or if Chase has an injury issue that pops up and suddenly you're yeah. having to you know rely on a Zach Zenner <laughs> if anything happens to your starter. I do think it would be wise for the Cardinals to, t- to take a running back. The two that sure. stand out, one of them are interesting. Josh Kelly is kind of the top-rated back. He was impressive at the Senior Bowl. He's a guy a lot of people said, hey, he'll go in the sixth round and make a team look brilliant. Like He, he may look like an Arian Foster type as far as falls late, ends up being a uh, competitive, either a starter or being kind of like a number two similar to a – uh, Jamal Williams. The other is the local product, and we've seen a lot of Cardinals players in recent years who either are from the state of Arizona or have um, gone and played at their different states. And uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if the Cardinals spent one of their fourth round picks on Eno Benjamin out of ASU. Again, smaller guy, but as far as the vision, toughness, the pass catching, um, it just feels very much like it's kind of if Chase Young is more, of, or sorry, Chase Edmonds is more of your quick between the tackles type of runner who's that size this would be more kind of your guy who can run behind the tackles and still be able to just take a hit get an extra three or four yards Um, i could see that being a narrative for the cardinals it wouldn't shock me at least you know if they end up taking one pick to be able to try to address somewhere along the uh, defensive line they spend another pick at least working to um uh you know, address the running back position. And we do know, John, I, I will say this. I'm at least, a little, not like sad, but I think that the Cardinals came away very, very well because we spent all this time debating about was Zach Moss worth taking it 72? Because then you're talking about essentially spending an offensive pick on a player who's had injury issues, who's yeah. trucking guys. Uh, his elusiveness rating in college is really high, so it's like he's a great tackle breaker. Uh, some people compared him to Kenyon Drake in that regard. But my issue is just if you're going to take a guy who's had that injury stuff ahead of a probably more talented player and, you know, you, you can't get him on day three, I just didn't feel comfortable about that pick. So I think the Cardinals, by being able to obviously show the flexibility of not locking into a player, not locking into a position, but locking into trusting their evaluation and trusting on the board, I think that's the biggest step that they could have taken. Because you and I, John, we, we both agreed, hey, this is great. The Cardinals, we didn't know or didn't expect that they would do this. They went out and did take who we feel like is a much better player, and that is great. Yeah, and I think with the running back position, I get it. It's the sexy pick. A lot of running backs went, but you look at where the, the backs went to, they were going to teams that – you know, quite frankly, we're ready to win now. We're in a position where they could take a back high. The Colts taking Jonathan Taylor, I mean, he's going to be their bell cow, you would think, if not this year, next year. And that team has playoff aspirations. Now, Arizona does too, but they're paying Kenyon Drake a a pretty penny this year, over $8 million. Chase Edmonds, uh, listen, he looked really good last year in Sparts. Um, He just couldn't stay healthy, and they probably don't make the, the Drake trade had he not gotten hurt at in fact i know they they wouldn't have done that he's a fourth round pick for a reason and he's looked very capable either catching the football out of the backfield and running in between the tackles again i, I mentioned it last night on the pod i mean put the giants tape on he shredded the giants and i know that they're subpar defensively but still i mean this is the nfl 
and he's able to produce when you need him to. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm confident partially because I think that the, the Kyler factor, any back, I think is going to have some semblance of success as long as they're not quite frankly shot like David Johnson is. I think if you get a, a back that has a little bit of burst, they have a chance to be successful in this offense with the combination of the, the, the kind of schemes that the Cardinals scheme up for backs, the offensive line, and then and then the Murray factor. I think it's it's an enticing offense to play in, but I also don't feel like the Cardinals need to put themselves in a corner where they have to have a franchise back. I like the idea of rotating guys out every, every couple of years. It's what the good teams do. I mean, the, the best teams in this league – you know, as much as I love Derrick Henry and the Titans, it's not a winning formula, a championship formula. Um, and that's why they're not paying him. The Cardinals got in trouble when they paid David Johnson. I would go year to year with Drake. I'd have a pipeline just like the offensive line of mid to late, you know, round running backs that could come in and, and spell my starters and eventually develop. Um, so yeah, if they if they determine Eno Eno Benjamin, who listen, I'm, I'm I didn't go to Arizona State. I don't follow the, the program like you, Blake, but I've seen highlights. I know. His combine was impressive, and um, and he had certainly tremendous statistics at ASU. They feel like he can be a contributor, and they want to take him in the fourth round. I, I think that would be good value. But, yeah, I, I we do know that they were in on Zach Moss. I think they would have liked to have maybe taken him at pick 111. I don't think they, they, they liked the value clearly at 72. I didn't like that value. I think we had talked about it. In pre, pre, pre-draft podcasts, I think he'd always kind of looked at a fourth-round pick for us. Um, but goodness, the, the run on running backs, no pun intended, really kind of happened today. The, it, it seemed like every other pick was either a wide receiver, a running back, or maybe like a corner safety. Um, and so that allowed the Cardinals to benefit with these tackles. And we didn't see the run on the offensive line until... Um, the third round and the Cardinals, I, I really feel like started that trend. Um, but I, I think we can thank all of those receivers. And I know it's been picked over for pushing down Josh Jones, because had it not been a historically great second round with receiver prospects and running back prospects that a lot of them had third round grades. I mean, Denzel Mims going that late to the Jets, that's highway robbery. I, I think Josh Jones would have gone much higher. I think he would have been much closer to what we initially had, you know, thought he would have been, uh, that being a top 30, top 40 prospect. But, you know, tomorrow I just, I, I would like them to find guys that they have clear defined roles for long-term and short-term. Somebody just don't take a guy because you you feel like you have to, because the value is there. Find people that fit what Cliff's want, wants to do and what, what Vance wants to do. I mean, I, I think there are a couple edge rushers right now, and I, I don't love taking edge rushers on day three. I think they rarely pan out, but I do think there are some exceptions. And, and you know, finding the next Alex Okafor, he's had a cup of coffee in the NFL. He's been a productive pro for other teams. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, if you get Curtis Weaver at the top of the, of the third round tomorrow, or excuse me, at the top of the fourth round, somebody who is a projected second or third round pick in a weak edge class, I think that's a win. The Cardinals just need to get, we talked about it yesterday, faster and more athletic and longer defensively. Now, the defensive line class, you could argue, has been picked over, and that's okay. There's always going to be impact defenders on the defensive line the Cardinals got away with it last year they've upgraded a couple spots you hope a couple guys take the next step but you know a name that 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 I like on the surface is um Lecky Futu Fotu from Utah they have interest in him he's a three technique um and he's got powerful hands. If you've watched him on film for Utah, you know explosiveness is, is fine. And he's a developmental defensive lineman. But um, that's a name, I think, to, to keep in mind tomorrow. I think that production probably wasn't as great as you would have hoped. And, you know, that program has put out a lot of quality pro defensive linemen um, in the past. But, goodness, he's got the size, 6'5", 335. He's only 21 years old. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's the kind of player, if you want to take a flyer on and see, can this guy develop into a spot starter? I know Lance Serling said that I think he had a fourth-round grade on him, and I, Mike Pinnell was his, was his pro comp from, from Green Bay, I believe. So he's huge, and he can take up space, and maybe – Maybe Jordan Phillips isn't your replacement for Corey Peters. Maybe maybe Lecky is. So another name to watch as we head into tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. For that, there's a couple of uh, players I think that you can uh, watch to be able to see the uh, on the offensive side. Uh, we already mentioned a few of those different names. You're I, you're not looking at a quarterback, obviously. You probably have 
Um, uh, potential, at least for uh, I don't know if you want to take another offensive tackle. We've t- we have we talked a little bit about Sadiq Charles out of LSU. I think you're probably set on the outside spot. If you did want to go and look, you'd probably be either looking at a, t- a tight end like a Hunter Bryant out of Washington, a teammate of. Uh, your, uh, I believe Buda Baker at least who was there, but I don't feel like they utilize the tight end enough. It'd be almost like, hey, we're using a draft pick to replace what we could get for Charles Clay versus signing Clay after the draft and seeing what a Dan Arnold has in year two. Uh, I think that you're probably limited on that aspect. And then when you're talking about the wide receivers, what they really need right now, John, is probably an outside speed guy. I don't see that type of player who's there that's left for the most part, unfortunately. Um, a, a Tyler Johnson versus a Keyshawn Johnson to me is uh, maybe talk about pushing someone else off. I don't think that they're going to take another wide receiver at this point for the rest of the draft, just because I don't think that there's anything that they Value's need not that they there. don't already have. It's not there. Uh, if you wanted to look for it, and so that means it's going to be pretty reliant on Christian Kirk now getting freed up with one-on-one coverage as a deep threat, and Andy Isabella in year two, maybe you get to run a little bit more deep out of the slot, see Fitzgerald flip out wide. It'll be at least fun if you could see you know Fitzgerald kind of move out of the X role and end his career kind of in more of the Z slash slot role and then have Andy Isabella work in would be interesting to find out. I think, John, it'll be more likely if you do see an offensive pick, it'll be something with the trenches or a running back. And I think I would lean a little higher toward the running back right now, but if there's a player who's there, like a John Simpson, uh, like a Tyler Biedes, um, then you might definitely end up being able to see the Cardinals take uh, what was presumed as a weakness last year turned into probably the strength of the team. On the defensive side, uh, the Cardinals, had I know they had some interest or at least knowledge with Marcus Bailey. Uh, that's because he was a guy who they uh, actually had their doctor, I believe, worked him out and cleared him. Uh, don't be surprised if James Lynch, James Lynch, Baylor defensive end, if he ends up being uh, one of the picks in the fourth round. Cliff is very well acquainted with him, being part of the Big 12. He can play outside or inside, giving that positional flexibility, and that's something that's very important for Vance Joseph and his defense. All right, thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll be back here with a little bit more. Uh, this has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, make sure you follow us. I know I dropped kind of a uh, almost giddy type of video, wanted more of a live reaction to the uh, Josh Jones pick. I ended up turning it on like a split second late. I blame ABC for cutting away to a commercial break and coming back and just plopping the names and shocking me right <laughs> yeah. off of the bat. No buildup whatsoever for that one. So uh, you can keep following for more of the reactions or other stuff there at Blake Murphy seven on Twitter. John, where can the listeners find you? Yeah. Johnny touchdown on Twitter. And of course here on the ROTV podcast. Yeah, we'll have uh, the next couple of picks. We'll have uh, it'll be probably a lot shorter shows than these ones for the next couple of picks. We'll just kind of hit them off in a row after day three, and then we'll have kind of a overall draft wrap up show. We'll be able to talk about just the rest of the draft, the positions as a whole, uh, not just for the Cardinals but for everyone else. So you can look forward to that. In the meantime, well, everyone grab some sleep. It's going to be at 9 a.m. tomorrow, uh, Eastern Time, 12 p.m. If you're uh, on the other side of the states, you'll be able to wake up for. I'll catch the long last day and uh, hope that the Cardinals, you know, don't have a Mr. Irrelevant pick this year like they did last year where they kept, I think, what was it, three picks or something, John, out of, like, the last five in the entire draft last year. All right, so, yeah, currently praying for the beat writers. Uh, Thank you guys for listening so much. Take care. Talk to you guys tomorrow.